It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. We're talking about practice. Hello, you play to win the game. The Yankees are champions of baseball. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Three, two, one. Happy 2000! No time on the clock, and the Patriots have won Super Bowl 36. George Open, Chicago with the lead! Worldwide Sports Radio Network presents Below the Mark. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Below the Mic, and we are live every single Thursday. Me, and of course, Speedy Petey. As you know, you can follow us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. And you can call us at 631-965-4990. And guys, you know we have an app now. So how do you file, how do you find our app? How do you follow our app? You go to the iOS store and you go to search and go to WWSRN. Again, it's WWSRN on the iOS store. And if you, fo- if you have an Android, you have a Samsung, you have a whatever phone you have in the Android or Droid way. You can go to Droid and go to the Play Store and go to Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And you can listen and follow us on every single show, every single story that we have all over the social media market on our app. We have a great app for you guys, so definitely check it out. We've been waiting for it for months. And it's finally out there for all the fans to check out and be really intrigued on what we're doing and what we're moving forward right now with our network. Uh, we have a great show lined up for you guys. We have Packers writer Ralph Mancini joining us at 6.15 and at uh, 7 o'clock, right, Speedy? 7.15. 7.15, we have the rotoworld.com writer for the NFL, another one, Ian Hartitz. So uh, that's going to be really, really interesting. Uh, we're going to get both of their thoughts about the NFL draft. So as you know, we're we're up and running right now for Below the Mic, but as you know... We do this every single Thursday. Speedy, what do we got? Sports and entertainment news. Here we go. Well, NBA news, guys. Giannis Antetokounmpo, or whatever you are, the Greek freak. <laughs> You'll get it one of these days. One of these days I'll get his name, but the Greek freak's Twitter account appears to be hacked. So if you're reaching out to the Greek freak, don't be reaching out to him now because he's got problems right now with his Twitter account. So don't reach out to him. Clay Thompson warns the rest of the NBA of the Warriors' resurgence. Obviously, everybody knows the Warriors were the worst team in the NBA so far this year. If the NBA season does come back, there's about 15, 16 games left. Clay Thompson has come out and said that he will be back next year. This team is going to have a resurgence. You have all the great superstars that are going to be lined up, and they're going to have a top three, top four pick in this year's draft. So he's telling everybody to watch out. Yes, Watch out for the Golden State Warriors. Vince Carter hoping to stay involved in the NBA game after retirement. Now, he is retiring now, more than likely after this year, if there is a rest of the season. He's had a great, sensational career, borderline Hall of Famer, one of the greatest slam dunk guys we have ever seen in NBA history. He's coming out and saying that he wants to work for the NBA either as an analyst, maybe work for an organization, so... Vince Carter wants to be a part of an organization or the NBA. Steve Kerr not proud of the infamous practice scuffle with Michael Jordan. Now, if you have been watching 
the great 1998 Chicago Bulls The Last Dance, you know that Michael Jordan had a scruffle with a bunch of players, including Steve Kerr, at practice in the 1998 season. So Steve Kerr has come out and, and really spoken about, you know, taking shots or people taking shots at the, the Chicago Bulls for what they have done on the practice court. Everything that you've seen with the Chicago Bulls, this this is a team that was looking and striving for greatness. So things happen on the court, especially at practice, that you don't want to happen. You don't expect to happen. So he has come out and said that he he really wants to take back or really not talk about that particular situation. Steve Kerr does not seem like the type of guy that would do that either. <laughs> no, he's not. NFL news. Intended or not, the Cowboys made a chess move for Dak Prescott's negotiations. Obviously, bringing in Andy Dalton has really set the Chicago, I'm sorry, not Chicago Bulls, the Dallas Cowboys in a stir right now for their team, the quarterback position. Andy Dalton, who I think fits the offense of the Dallas Cowboys, the West Coast offense with uh, Mike McCarthy. I don't think it was, I don't think it was a, a nitpick of bringing in this particular quarterback. I think he fits better in the offense, and I do believe Dak Prescott is asking for too much money, and I do not believe the Cowboys are going to give him that money. So uh, I don't think they're intending to extend his contract after the franchise tag this year. I think he'll be let go, and he won't be starting for another team. Cam Newton's best option is to sit because the NFL's top quarterback insurance policy as a starter is a better offer for him. Now, Cam Newton will make more money this year not playing than a lot of people believe by playing. Now, I don't know what the contract entails, but I think it's close to 16 or $17 million a year. Wow. For I, not I, playing? For not playing. So a lot of people in the NFL believe that he would be better off sitting out for the season and not taking a backup job or even taking a starting job with a bad team where you're not going to win. I beg to differ. This guy's a winner. This guy's a, a competitor. I think he needs to he needs to choose where he wants to go, and he needs to choose quick because OTAs start very, very So I don't know if it's virtual OTAs or they're going to actually have OTAs, but he needs to pick a team, and he needs to pick a team very, very soon. Count the Raiders out of Jadavion Clowney. I know their stories were coming out with Jadavion Clowney, the Raiders being one of the top teams that were very much interested in him. I don't think that's going to happen now. I mean, the stories coming out of uh, the Oakland Raiders that you do not want to pay Jadavion Clowney 16 to 17 million dollars for the one year, which means, ladies and gentlemen, that Jadavian Clowney might not have a team lined up before season start. Because if he hasn't been signed yet, I don't know if he's going to be signed moving forward. There are a lot of teams that pretty much have their teams set up and, and ready to go uh, after the draft. So it's going to be very, very interesting. I do believe the Jets are still interested in him. If, he, if he's willing to take a 10 or 12 million dollar contract, he could go right. play for the Jets. But nobody's going to pay him $16, $17 million as far as what I've been reading. Yeah, most of the teams that have money don't have maybe the pushing need to over either overpay for him specifically or they can't invest it all into one player, just one position in general. Russell Akugas. How do you pronounce his Okun. name? Akun. I, I hate these guys' names because they, their G is a silent or the O-U is a silent. But Russell Akun, unfair labor practices charge against the NFLPA dismissed. The National Labor Relations Board dismissed an unfair labor practice charged by the Carolina Panthers offensive tackle, Russell Kuhn, against the NFL Players Association. The dismissal was confirmed 
by the NLRB. Akun, formerly candidate for the president of the NFLPA. That didn't work for Akun, so unfortunately, that's it. So, um, and MLB news: Bryce Harper contract offer from the Nationals hurt. Bryce Harper completely opened up about his free agency process that uh, competitively uh, baseball teams and the world were looking at a year ago. Um, With him choosing the Philadelphia Phillies, Harper joined Barstool Sports starting nine and showed a show for in-depth interviews that he was very upset that the Nationals didn't offer him more money. Well, remember, they did at the All-Star break, and he did take it after that. And then, again, I I guess they just got sick of him at that point in terms of just negotiating. And as you can see, they made better use of that money. And that is all, ladies and gentlemen, for our sports and entertainment of the week. So, Speedy, we're going to get an opportunity to get into The Last Dance. We have two very special guests. Uh, Again, we're going to have Packers, Green Bay Packers writer, uh, Ralph Mancini joining us in about five minutes. And at 7.15, we have NFL writer Ian Hartitz, uh, who's going to join us and, and really talk about the NFL draft and the NFL season. Are we going to have an NFL season? That's, that's going to be the question that both these guys are going to have to answer. And the Green Bay Packers. I want to know what, uh, what the, the Green Bay fans are saying about this Jordan Love um, bringing him from the draft and and really the team as a whole the uh the off season of free agency and the draft and what what the uh the Green Bay Packer fans and Milwaukee thinks of the Green Bay Packers uh draft most of them don't like it from what I've seen on Twitter <laughs> I don't care what most people don't like I I, I want to hear what Mancini has to say mm-hmm, right. and what he says the Packers that he has taught the Packer fans that he has talked to what they're saying. Now, I do believe that Aaron Rodgers isn't happy with the Jordan Love signing and, and, and obviously drafting him. But again, you're talking about Aaron Rodgers taking over for Brett Favre, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. And, and we had that argument already. <laughs> and he sat the bench for three years. Three years before he had his opportunity. He became a great, great quarterback for the Green Bay Packers and, to me, a Hall of Fame quarterback. Now, uh, now Jordan Love has the opportunity, and the Packers, they've been lucky, and they've had a bag of riches, because in their last, I would say, last 25 years, they had quarterbacks like Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, two Hall of Famers, two of the greatest quarterbacks of our era and our, our time, really, in the last, I would say, top 15 quarterbacks of all time, both of those guys, so... Um, the fact that both of these guys, and a lot of people are saying that Brett Favre has come out, and some people are making jokes that Brett Favre reached out to Aaron Rodgers and say, how do you like me now? I, I, don't, I don't think Brett Favre is going to take time out of his day reaching out to Aaron Rodgers and, and sticking it in his face. I, I don't see that happening. But uh, the stories are coming out that uh, Brett Favre has said that Aaron Rodgers is practically a goner with the Green Bay Packers, and the Green Bay Packers will look to move him. I don't think this year, but... No, I think the offseason next year or the trade deadline, depending on what his season looks like. They will look to move him in the offseason next year and try to get as much back for Aaron Rodgers if he's still on the top of his game, which I believe he is. So I don't know if they're going to get a first-round draft pick for him because he's 36, going to be 37 years old. 
But you might be able to get a second-round draft pick for Aaron Rodgers and maybe an early third-round draft pick. I think the only chance of them getting a first-round pick is if it were to be a trade deadline deal when a team is just super desperate for a quarterback. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think the Green Bay Packers, being that they're a Super Bowl contender, are going to trade their best player at the trade deadline. Well, no, I'm not talking about this year. I'm talking about... If they did it next year, like twenty, they're not going to do that. They're not going to. They're not going to put Aaron Rodgers through a whole season and all of a sudden at the trade deadline trade him. They're either going to trade him this off season or next off season. They're not going to trade him in the middle of the season, especially when they're making a playoff run with. Uh, and, and they don't want to. No, not the, if they're making a playoff run. I said if they're not, they're going to make a playoff run. This is the Green Bay Packers, and as long as Aaron Rodgers is one hundred percent healthy, they are going to make playoff runs. So, anyways, when we come back. The Voice. No, I'm just kidding. Not The Voice. The, a, a writer for uh, Pack2TheFuture.com and PackersTalk.com, Ralph Mancini, is going to join us here on Below the Mic. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is below the mic. We are live every single Thursday from six p.m. to eight p.m. New York Eastern Time. As you guys know, we have two very special guests joining us today, and we have our first, uh, the writer for Pack to uh, Pack to the Future dot com and Packers Talk dot com. We are going to be talking to Green Bay's Pack Green Bay Packers writer Ralph Mancini. What's going on, Ralph? Hey, what's going on, guys? Great to be with you. Oh, we're happy that you're joining us. I know it's been very, very busy the last couple of weeks. The Packers made some moves, uh, their draft. So uh, before we get into the house, your family doing? Uh, we're doing we're doing okay man you know i mean uh you know i'm i'm in a nice neighborhood here you know i got a lot of space around me so uh fortunately for me i don't live in any congested quarters and so uh, i got food in the refrigerator so everything is just fabulous right now well you're the voice and the ears of the packers fans and what are the thoughts of some of the packers fans when they moved up from 30 to 23 or 24, right? It was 24, 26. I'm sorry. 30 to 26 moving up to get a backup quarterback who is probably going to be Aaron Rodgers' successor, uh, Jordan Love. There's no doubt about it. I mean, when you trade up to get a quarterback, to draft a quarterback in the first round, uh, you're not taking him to be a career backup. He is going to be the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers. Now, whether or not he ends up being uh, somebody that even plays close to that level, that remains to be seen. But I would say that overall, just everybody was shocked by the move. I mean, you know, I've been writing about this for months. People have been tweeting about it. They've been talking about it. I'm talking about Packer fans. And really, I mean, we, we knew there was a possibility maybe, but nobody really took it seriously. And, you know, here's another thing. You know, Aaron Rodgers went on the Pat McAfee show. I think it was about a day before, maybe the day of the uh, first day of the draft. And they put him on the spot and asked him, you know, what, what do you think the Packers are going to do? And, you know, he came out and said, well, you know, it would be nice if they got me another weapon or two. Now, that just shows you that, you know, he didn't even have a- any idea of what was going to take place. And so uh, I would say overall, just everybody was floored by what took place. And I have to say, it took me like me personally, it took me about three days to really come wow. to terms with uh, with what was going on, because I am a huge Aaron Rodgers fan. I, I do think he 
still has a lot to offer. And, you know, hey, listen, uh, overall, though, if I'm going to judge the draft, I really, you know, looking back now, I really don't have a huge problem with them uh, trading up to get this quarterback because, quite frankly, you take a look at the quarterback class from 2020, and it's not that good. I mean, outside of the top, you know, three or four guys, there are not a lot of franchise or I should say potential future uh, franchise quarterbacks, NFL quarterbacks out there. And so I understand the thinking. Aaron Rodgers is 36 years old. And, you know, this is a smart move for the future. And now it's going to ruffle some feathers. But what I had a problem with is they had a need, a distinct need at wide receiver. And this was, you know, supposedly, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, down the road. But, you know, judging on, you know, some of these guys that, that were coming out this year, this was, you know, one of the all-time wide receiver classes. And for them not to come away with one receiver with their picks – in, in the draft, I mean, to me, that that was even more shocking than them trading up for Jordan Love. And, you know, so, uh, you know, they, they have they, there's a method to their madness. I, I get what they're doing. Um, and and so there, there's just a lot of stuff going on beneath the surface that, you know, we're just not aware of as far as, you know, the relationship between Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. So but uh, but, yeah, I, I would say overall, a lot of Packer fans, most Packer fans, we're just shocked with what happened. How long do you think the developmental process will be for Jordan Love? And also, how do you think he will fit with Matt LaFleur's scheme offensively? Well, basically, Jordan Love is very raw. He is the type of player who is athletic. He's got a natural throwing motion. He's got a great arm. He can make all the throws. The problem is, is that he also misses a lot of throws. And in his last year over at Utah State, he, he missed a lot of short throws that he should have made. So he is somebody who I think is about two years away. I would say he's a, he's a good two years, maybe three years away. I would say he, you could safely say he's about two years away before, you know, you can even think of him becoming a, a quality starting NFL quarterback. So, but, you know, that's, that's the luxury you have now. Uh, you have the luxury of time in developing a player like this because you do have Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers has four more years left on his contract. Now, I don't think he's going to go anywhere for 2020 for sure. And he's probably not going to go anywhere in 2021 just because if he does, there's just a lot of dead money that the Packers are going to have to eat. So financially it just wouldn't make sense. But, you know, as far as the development of of, uh, of love is concerned, I, I think Matt LaFleur has a plan for him. I think he's uh, trying to build a, a dominant running game. I think he's trying to build a really good offensive line so that when love does step in, let's say a year, let's say two years from now, three years from now, whenever it is, I think, you know, love will have um, will have the benefit of, of a strong running game, strong blocking. And, you know, that should help him develop as as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Do I think he's going to be the next Patrick Mahomes? No. But, you know, I I do think that, you know, he's he he could be if if everything goes according to plan. I do think that um, that he could develop into a quality starting quarterback because he does have the natural, uh, I should say, skill set that projects for, you know, for him to become that type of player. Now, for the people that say, you know, will Aaron Rodgers mentor him? Is Aaron Rodgers angry? Is Aaron Rodgers sad? Look, it doesn't really matter what Aaron Rodgers thinks. You know, and this whole mentorship thing, I think, is overblown. You know, I think 
you know, with quarterbacks especially, they're just concerned about going out and winning games. And Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be anybody's coach. I don't think he's going to treat the kid badly, you know, because he did have some he did have some beef early on with Brett Favre when he got drafted years ago. And I, I'm sure that Aaron Rodgers, you know, doesn't want to mistreat or, uh, you know, just not be uh, accessible to, to the new guy. But I, I do think that, you know, Aaron Rodgers is there to win. Jordan Love is there to learn. And so for people that, you know, are, are making a big thing out of, well, what's Aaron Rodgers going to do or what's he going to think or what's he going to say? doesn't really matter. It's the coaching staff that's going to develop Jordan Love. Now, will Aaron Rodgers give him some tips here and there? I'm sure he will. But it's it's not his job to mentor the, the young guy. We are talking to NFL writer for the Green Bay Packers, Ralph Mancini. I actually like the Jordan Love move. And I actually predicted when I saw Green Bay move up from 30 to 26, I predicted they were going to draft Jordan Love because there were stories coming out of New England that if they didn't, New England was going to draft them in the second round. So I believe on my draft board, Jordan Love was the second-best quarterback in this draft. I really did believe it. I, I said this from the beginning. I, I, me and Speedy have gone back and forth about this, and, and I believe that Jordan Love has the ability and the growth of what he could be as a quarterback in the NFL to be a great quarterback in the future. Uh, what did you think about uh, Devin Funches signing? Uh, wide receiver, good secondary wide receiver. Uh, maybe that was the reason why they didn't go after a wide receiver in the draft. Yeah, I mean, they do have some big young receivers on the team that, that can develop, that do have some potential. Now, as far as Devin Funches goes, I mean, he is somebody, a former second-round pick, a converted tight end. He does have the big body, 6'4", 217 pounds, uh, or somewhere in that area. But, you know, the, the problem with, with him is, is that he has a tendency of dropping passes. Uh, you take a look at his career catch rate. I believe it's, what, maybe 50, maybe 51% 51%. There you go. So, you know, he's it's not somebody who's exactly reliable. But what I'm thinking, the thinking here, I uh, I believe, with, with the Packers in, in signing him is, is that they've done their homework. And when Funches lines up as an inside receiver, he is a much more reliable weapon. He doesn't drop as many passes. Whereas when he plays outside, he's just not the same player. And he's not somebody who's sudden. He's not somebody who's a speed merchant. So I think the plan is going to be using him as an inside receiver or maybe somebody uh, kind of like a quasi tight end. And now the question with a lot of Packer fans on Twitter, especially, is who's going to be the number two guy after Devontae Adams? I firmly believe that's going to be Alan Lazard. He stepped up last season, came out of nowhere, hard worker, tough kid. And Aaron Rodgers loves the guy. He earned Aaron Rodgers trust during the season, and in fact, it was Rodgers who campaigned the coaching staff to put Lazard in, and if you remember back during week six and that Monday night game that they should have lost to the Detroit Lions, it was Lazard who really, you know, turned it on, and, and really, you know, he, he was one of the main factors in that game in terms of, you know, pulling out a win on Monday night football in week six, so I think it's going to be Alan Lazard, who's the number two guy behind Adams. And Funches, I think he'll play a role, but he has to make the team. I don't think anything's going to be given to him. But if they use him the right way, I think Funches can be a productive guy. 
you talk about the tight ends, and actually the Packers have made a lot of priorities in terms of drafting tight ends, more than we usually see for a team that's been receiver-rich and Aaron Rodgers really doesn't use the tight ends. Do you think that's a a league shift? Do you think that's a Matt LaFleur thing? Why do you think they've done a lot of tight end picks in the third round the last two years? Yeah, well, I I just think that they made some poor decisions. I'm talking about the front office as as far as acquiring tight ends in the past few years. I mean, if you go back a few years, about three or four years ago, they had Jared Cook. And when he was on the field, because he did deal with some injuries, but when he was on the field, Aaron Rodgers loved throwing the ball to Jared Cook. I mean, we could all remember that 2017 playoff game against the Dallas Cowboys where, you know, Cook comes up with that big play that sets up the game-winning field goal. But, you know, inexplicably, they, they never they never re-sign him. And, and so – and. They never really replaced them, quite frankly. You know, we did have uh, Jim, uh, Jimmy Graham there for a couple of years, but he's basically the shadow of uh, Jimmy Graham in that he's no longer explosive. He's just a big body, and he's one of those catch-and-fall guys, basically. And so now with Jay Sternberger, he's going to be he's going to be the man. He's going to be the featured tight end. I can't tell you he's going to be the next Jared Cook. I'm not going to tell you he's going to be the next Jermichael Finley, but he does have a lot of ability. And he is versatile because they did use him as an H-back. They used him as a blocker uh, late in the season last year and in the playoffs. So he does have ability, and I think he's going to be the featured guy. So, you know, as a Packers fan, I I hope it works out. And, you know, if he ends up giving you 50 catches for, let's say, five to 600 yards and four to five touchdowns for a young player, I think that's pretty good. Ralph, what is, what is your thoughts to the resurgence of Aaron Jones, a young running back that really came out of nowhere uh, and, and really has produced for Aaron Rodgers? This is a team that really has not had a good running game since Aaron Rodgers taken over. I know they had Eddie Lacy and Starks, but none of these guys were any, anywhere explosive like Aaron Jones. What do, you, what do you think about Aaron Jones, especially this year with 16 touchdowns and 1,000, almost, uh, almost 1,100 1, yards? I almost said that, 1,100 yards. Right, 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 right. And, and, and he scored 19 combined touchdowns right. running and receiving. Mm-hmm. So I think the whole thing with, with the running game is when Mike McCarthy was there, the emphasis was on the passing game. They never really made a commitment to the run. I mean, you'd watch those games and, you know, in situations where it was third and three, third and four, they would never run the ball. It was always, you know, let's line up three or four receivers and let's try to throw it all over the field. So now that uh, now that LaFleur is there coaching the team, the the emphasis, the mentality, the philosophy has changed. And so I think that goes into Aaron. um, I'm sorry, Aaron Jones emerging last year. And he's going to continue being the main man. Now, what they've done now in, in drafting A.J. Dillon in the second round is now they're they're fortifying that running game. And I, I think he's going to be an upgrade over Jamal Williams, who is a good blocker, but he's got like zero juice to him. You know, he's just one of those types of guys that, you know, you, you create three yards, he'll get you three yards, maybe he'll get you four yards. But there's not a lot of upside with Jamal Williams. So um, I, I think Aaron Jones is, is going to continue being the number one guy. But he's going to be a free agent, and so is Jamal Williams at the end of the season. So it remains to be seen. I'm hoping that the Packers find a way to resign Aaron Jones. But as we've seen with a lot of other running backs in the NFL, when they sign these running backs to big contracts, it doesn't always work out. We are talking to NFL writer for the Green Bay Packers, Ralph Mancini. You were talking about Dylan drafting him in the second round, and obviously – 
with the year Jones has, he's not going to really take over as a feature back. What kind of role do you see him in? Will this, you think, allow them to line up Jones's receiver? Do you think they'll use some two-back sets? What do you think will be the outlook for A.J. Dillon in terms of the amount of touches he'll get and the role he'll be used in LaFleur's offense? I think initially, if everybody stays healthy, I think they're going to start off going with a three-man backfield, or I should say a three-man rotation with, you know, with Jones, Jamal Williams, and A.J. Dillon splitting time. But I do think that, you know, as A.J. Dillon picks up the offense, as he becomes more comfortable with the pro game, uh, I think he's eventually going to transition into being that number two back. And then a a lot of it is also going to depend on, you know, what the game flow is going to be. So if the Packers happen to be nursing a 20 point lead in the fourth quarter, you know, against, you know, let's say the Vikings or whoever in, in week 10 or whatever, then AJ Dillon's going to see the ball late in the game because he's that type of, he's that, you know, four minute type of back that's just going to run the clock. So uh, I, I do think as the season wear, wears on, I think he's going to assume a bigger role. Uh, I think he's going to be the number two guy. And I think he's going to supplant Jamal Williams as, as the RB2 in that offense. Moving to the defense, and the defense really stepped up this year, adding the two Smith guys from Baltimore, Zadarius, who showed everybody what he could do in, in a big game, getting to the quarterback. Both guys were blitz happy guys that can get to the quarterback and and played Mm -hmm. very, very well under that defense. What Mm -hmm. did you think about the defense this year taking a step forward instead of a step back? Well, they did take a step forward in terms of rushing the passer. Zadarius Smith alone was a big difference maker. He led the league in pressures, 93 pressures. He led the NFL in that category. And if you watch them on a weekly basis, he's the type of guy who just is a nightmare for offensive lines to to block. He lines up outside. He also gets a lot of sacks by lining up inside. He is a tone setter for that for that defense. So I, I do like what they did from that aspect in that, you know, they, they did generate turnovers and they did get a lot of sacks. But what I didn't like is they are still deficient in terms of being a strong run defense. And that, hey, look, they they don't have the best personnel in terms of defense, in terms of players uh, in the NFL. But I also blame a lot of that on their defensive coordinator, Mike Patton. So I think that, you know, there's an emphasis on his part to focus on covering or I should say neutralizing the opposing passing game and not so much the run. And I think that has gotten the Packers in trouble. I mean, you go back to that NFC championship game and the 49ers just ran all over them. You take a look at that game. I think the 49ers were up like 10, nothing in the second quarter. And, and you see those pass rushers, those outside linebackers lining up in a wide nine and, and leaving the C gaps open. And I'm like, um, you know, and I, hey, look, you know, I'm just a writer. I'm just a fan. And I'm like, what the heck is Mike Petton doing out there? So, you know, uh, the safeties were playing back. I, I just think that there is a uh, a tendency on his part to want to prevent the big play and not really stop the run. The stopping the run is is secondary to Mike Petton. And, and that's a big concern for me. I, I do have I do hope that they improve in that area. But uh <clears throat> That remains to be seen. Moving on to the, just the draft in general, do, do you think the virtual draft contributed to the fact that 
there weren't a lot of big trades and there were no trades in the top 10 at all. Do you think the virtual draft had a lot to do with that or do you think there were other reasons? I could see that being a factor. You know, the, the fact that they weren't able to work out a lot of these players, I just think that a lot of general managers didn't have all the knowledge that they wanted or needed on, on every single player. Now, you can give me numbers. You can give me combined uh, numbers or measurables. But until I don't meet a person, work them out one-on-one, I'm not probably I'm just speaking as, you know, uh, putting myself in the shoes of a a personnel director or or GM or a coach. I'm not going to feel 100 percent comfortable with what this player can or cannot do. And especially when we're talking about kids from smaller schools, you know, hey, if you're talking about some kid, you know, Jeffrey Okuda from Ohio State. Yeah, he's on TV every week. So obviously that's that's somebody that you're going to feel more comfortable with as far as drafting. But if it's somebody from a, a mid-major or a smaller school, you know, you do need a lot of times that, that personal contact interaction, if you will. And they just didn't have that this year. And, yeah, I could see that being a contributing factor, uh, you know, to what to what you just uh, spoke about as far as not there not being a lot of trades this year. We are talking to NFL writer for the Green Bay Packers, Ralph Mancini. Ralph, a lot of people have – you know, gone back and forth with the Green Bay Packers draft. And they have been on the lower side of the draft this year. A lot of people voted them or have picked them to be one of the worst drafted teams this year, especially in the draft. They really didn't fill in spots that a lot of people thought they needed in the draft, a.k.a. the wide receiver position. What were your thoughts? Where did you grade the Packers this year in their draft? I mean, I'm going to give them a C plus. As in, let's see what happens. You know, I mean, it's, it's a lot of, a lot, look, a, a lot of, a lot of times, you know, it, we won't know how good or how bad a draft class is going to be until two or three years down the road. But the way I look at it is a lot of times people look at individual players and they say, well, they could have drafted this guy in the fifth round and they took him in the third round. What's going on? But sometimes you just have to step back and you take a larger view, a larger view of the things and see, you know, what were the Packers trying to do in this draft? And clearly, clearly the objective was to strengthen the running game. I mean, they took a they took a, a big 250-pound back in Dillon as their second-round pick. In the third round, they take a blocking tight end in Josiah DeGuara, who can line up as a fullback. Then they go on and take three offensive linemen in the later rounds. So that is... That is the objective. That was the strategy. Now, if a year or two from now, this doesn't work out and they don't have a dominant running game, then you could definitely say this was an awful draft. But, you know, right now I'm kind of on the fence. So I'm going to say C plus, (laughs) you know, if you're going to put a gun to my head. Better than a lot of uh, people thought. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Ralph, just in the whole draft, do you think there were any picks that maybe the popular consensus liked that you thought was a bad pick or a bad fit for the team that drafted him in the first round and why? Okay, well, this is not going to be popular, but I'm going to say the Jalen Hurts pick kind of confused me. <laughs> I mean, to me, when you have a franchise, a young franchise quarterback in Carson Wentz, I understand he gets hurt a lot. To take Jalen Hurts in the second round, you're basically saying that if anything were to happen to Carson Wentz, this particular player is going to be able to step in 
and and maybe not play as well as Wentz, but somebody is going to be somebody who's going to be able to take control and orchestrate and direct the offense. And Jalen Hurts is just not there yet. You know, he's not ready. He's kind of like, you know, Jordan Love from that aspect and that he probably won't be ready for another two or three years. I mean, you're talking about and I, I actually think, you know, I, I like Love a lot better than Hurts and obviously he was drafted a lot later. But you take a look at a guy like Hertz, and you know he's just got uh, a, a lot of a lot of work to do with his mechanics. And he, to me, he looks like a, a running back with an arm, as as somebody once described him. So to take that type of player in the second round, a Taysom Hill type, just kind of confuses me a little bit, you know. And I do understand there just weren't a lot of good quarterbacks in this draft, so I can understand what Harry Roseman was thinking. So that that confused me a little bit. Ralph, last question for me, and I, we, we've been going back and forth with fans and all different people, and I'm trying to compare Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, and who would I take in a big game or, or to win a title? And my, my answer to everybody is, I have a lot of the millennials are arguing that they would take Aaron Rodgers because they never saw Brett Favre play. Mm-hmm. Who, mm-hmm. Would you, who would you take if it came to a big game and the guy that you want as your quarterback, your starting quarterback? I'm taking Aaron Rodgers because he just doesn't turn over the ball like Brett Favre did. Now, I love Brett Favre's attitude. Uh, I, I love his arm. You know, I, I love – he was a magician out there too. You know, for people that don't remember Brett Favre, I mean, he was a guy that would turn something spectacular out of nothing. And once he got hot, I mean, you couldn't stop him. You know, we're talking about a three-time MVP, you know, for people who are a little fuzzy on, you know, his accomplishments. However, he was the gunslinger. He was he was a guy that took a lot of chances. And so, you know, in, in the fourth quarter of a big game, uh, I'd rather go with Aaron Rodgers. I just He just makes me feel a lot more at ease you know, with um, with the Packers, and if they have to come back from behind, I, I'd rather have Aaron Rodgers running the show. Do you think the era made a big difference in terms of Brett Favre's style of play versus Aaron Rodgers' style of play, especially with the analytics now? Do you think that made a difference, and if, you think there would have been less turnovers if Favre played in today's game? No, not really, just because that's, that's who just Brett Favre was. You know, it's part of his personality. You know, he's, he's a, you know, Back in the day, he was a party animal. He was a gregarious guy, uh, somebody that if you ever interview him, he just, you know, you can't get him to shut up, you know. So that's just part of, you know, he's just a wild and crazy guy, and that's the way he played. That was a reflection of his personality. Whereas Aaron Rodgers is more cerebral, and, you know, he's somebody who who does a lot more studying. He's, he's a guy that is more careful. Um, but, yeah, when he has to let it loose, he will. But, you know, you, look, you watch Aaron Rodgers when he plays, a lot of times – there are just there are throws out there. There are guys open, and he just doesn't want to throw the ball for like that three yard gain because it's like you know I'm just I'm just gonna play for another down. I, I don't like it. I know I know Aaron Jones is open for that four yard pass, but you know I'm just gonna throw it out of bounds because I just don't like it. You know, so they're just two completely different players, different personalities, and I, I think the way they played was a reflection or in, in Roger's case is a reflection of his personality. If you're a Packers fan and you want to read Ralph's stories, all you have to do is go to pack to the future.com or Packers talk.com. Ralph, why don't you tell all the fans how they could find you on social media? Absolutely. So if you're on Twitter, just look me up at, at Reverend Ralph. That's at Reverend Ralph on Twitter. 
Ralph, thank you for joining us. And I, if there is an NFL season, and I believe there will be, we would love to get you on and talk some Packers football. Hey, man, I, I would love to come on again. Absolutely. Thank you, Ralph, for joining us. Take care, guys. Ralph Mancini, ladies and gentlemen, of the Green Bay Packers writer. He writes for PackToTheFuture.com, PackersTalk.com. Great interview and really gave us good informa- information. And by the way, I'm very surprised he went with uh, Aaron Rodgers over Brett Favre. But Yeah, I was too. <laughs> I mean, I understand that he was a gunslinger, Brett Favre, and he threw a lot of interceptions. But th- when he was on, he was on, just like Mancini was saying. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I would take Brett Favre in a big game because even though Aaron Rodgers has done acrobatic things, crazy things that we've seen in the playoffs, they both have only won one championship. And... To me, Brett Favre, at the time that he was one of the top quarterbacks in the league, he was one of the top three or four quarterbacks. Right, and I think most of the same kind of things with it, the way they lost in the playoffs. It mainly wasn't their fault either. I think Brett Favre had that one, like, four or five interception game. Right. Okay, that's on him. I, I want to say that was against Atlanta or something like that. But that besides that, they don't really have many duds. It's been the Packers' problem for a while. Can they get a team defense? Can they get a running game? Stuff like that. It's usually been the problems. And you look at people that were criticizing Rodgers in the playoffs even too. A lot of times he comes back and ties the game and then they have losing after that. So Defense. Right. So, which has been their problem for years. Which yeah, which has been their problem for years in terms of a consistent team defense. They've had talented players on defense. Clay no doubt. Matthews, we know. Right. So there's no doubt we about that. It's just a matter of consistency year to year with team defenses. And that's always been their problem in addition to the running game. You have Amon Green for a year, Ryan Grant and then like you were saying, Lacey, but that's really it. Those are really like fifteen years of iffy running backs too. When we come back, we're going to get into the last dance. We didn't get a chance to talk about episodes five and six. When we come back, we'll get into that. And at 7.15, we have rotaworld.com's writer, NFL writer, Ian Hartitz, who's going to join us here on Below the Mic. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero. As you know, this is below the mic. We are live every single Thursday from six p.m. to eight p.m. New York Eastern Time. That was a great inf- interview, by the way. Shout out to Ralph uh, Mancini, the Packers writer, for joining us. We really appreciate you joining us and and giving us some insight of what the Packers did in the draft and what they're moving forward as a team, going forward as an organization. So. Uh, Great insight with the Packers. And we have uh, Ian Hartitz, who is another guy that has a lot of good insight with the NFL draft. We're looking forward to interviewing him in a few moments. So uh, that's going to be really, really fun. But uh, I want to get into this last dance, um, episodes five and six. And we really never got a chance to talk about it on Monday or Tuesday because we've been so busy with the interviews. And I want to thank all... Uh, the different uh, guests that we've had over the week. Uh, we really appreciate you guys and hope you guys really enjoyed joining us in our interviews. But um, what was interesting about The Last Dance over the weekend, especially Sunday, episodes five and six, is you got to learn a lot about Scottie Pippen. Mm-hmm. And Scottie Pippen was probably the most disrespected player on the Chicago Bulls. And what I mean by disrespected is that the organization really didn't respect him as a player. Well, he was holding out that entire season for a while, and they mentioned it in, I think, three different episodes so far. I think the first one, I think one, like four and five, all centered around that holdout. And Scottie Pippen, 
that whole saga, the media with Michael Jordan, the, his interviews again with the media, really have all centered around that. But then he eventually came back and played. So it was very. If Scotty, if if Scotty Pippen never came back, they would have never won the title in '98. They 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 were zero and four in the beginning of the season. And it really, they didn't start taking off until Scotty Pippen came back. So that team was all over the place. Now, I I look at the Chicago Bulls a completely different way. When you watch these different episodes, and, and I, I'm not going to take shots at Jerry Krause because he's dead and he's gone. And I'm not going to take shots at Phil Jackson either because uh, we all know what Phil Jackson did to the New York Knicks. <laughs> but I look at Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen was probably the third or fourth best player in the NBA when he was, the, when he was on the Chicago Bulls in 1998. And when Michael Jordan retired for the, the year and a half that he was gone... Scottie Pippen was averaging about 26, 25 points a game, and he was easily the best player on the Chicago Bulls, and they were one game away from being in the NBA Finals if, if, if there wasn't a couple of mistakes now, in the they, game. Now, they lost to Orlando in that one or the Knicks? Which one was that? Uh, it, wasn't the, it, wasn't, it wasn't the Knicks. They lost against Orlando when, uh, when Michael Jordan came back. Okay, because I know... They're were, number 45. Right, because they had the two years, and Orlando made it to the finals in 95. And the I Knicks, think it was the Knicks. Okay, so it was the Knicks year in 94 when they made it to the finals and played against the Rockets. So that's interesting, and again, you wonder what ifs. We can always play the what if games with that, but... There is no what if. If Michael Jordan actually played those two years, they would have won back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back titles because they were easily the best team in the NBA. But again, how much of that would, would Pippen be that good if... It, Offensively, if Jordan was still there, is another Pippen question, was still so. a good offensive player. Uh, Pippen was averaging twenty points a game. He was still a great offensive player. He was only averaging five or six more points a game because uh, Michael Jordan wasn't a part of the team. Hmm. I'm just saying, in terms of the shots, in terms of that, they, they do add up over the course of the season. Now, a playoff series, it's obviously a much smaller sample, so it would have been interesting to see. But yeah, you're probably right in terms of the instance of Michael Jordan still being there. Would would they have done it both years is a question. I think they definitely do it one for sure. And again, the Eastern Conference landscape was still very strong at that time, and yet nobody could still beat the Bulls even again with with Pippen there, and even the Knicks and the and the Magic in those series that they really struggled with them too. As far as the Olympic thing is concerned, and I I know the Isaiah Thomas thing is going to be something that is going to be brought up. Charles Barkley spoke about it all week, and and it's the first time I heard that Michael Jordan and him weren't speaking for the last couple of years Mm -hmm. because of what Charles Barkley has said about Michael Jordan as an owner. But all in all, Isaiah Thomas should have been a part of that team. Now, I don't know if it's true Michael Jordan had something to do with it, Magic Johnson had something to do with it, Scottie Pippen or even Karl Malone, people are saying, wanted nothing to do with Isaiah Thomas. It's interesting, yeah. But Isaiah Thomas deserved to be on that team. He did. He was the best point guard in the NBA at the time. You want to say John Stockton? You want to go back and forth? All around game, Isaiah Thomas was a better player than John Stockton. He was a better offensive player. Uh, He could pass the ball. He could shoot the ball. And John Stockton wasn't a guy that you would put the ball in his hands to win a game. That was Carl Malone. Right. Well, he wasn't a shooter. He was a passer. Exactly. That's why I would take Isaiah Thomas any day over John Stockton. Now, it's interesting because, again, people are saying, oh, it was all Jordan. It was all Pittman. But again, it could it also be just the mantra of the team the way it was. Obviously, Isaiah Thomas. That's what they're saying right now. That's what the Olympic uh, president, the guy that runs the Olympics now, and, and the guy that ran the Olympics. I forget who was running the Olympics at, at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, they, what they were saying, and he, there was a couple of uh, 
uh, executives on on a bunch of radio stations and a bunch of radio shows this past week talking about why Isaiah Thomas didn't make the team. They didn't think he fit the team, and he didn't. They didn't think that he fit out of all the ten guys that they picked on the team, and they they had to limit somebody out. To me, I would have limited out Christian Leitner. Right, because that was the one I didn't even realize was on the team, and. Probably similar to what we saw with some other young, big prospects. Yeah, but he was a big superstar in college. He no, won, I know that. He won a national title with Duke, especially what he did getting to the national title game mm-hmm. in the Final Four. Right. So I don't, know, I don't know if I would have given Christian Leitner the opportunity to play for one of the greatest basketball teams ever assembled. Right, that's my point. I think if you want to have that dream team mantra that the 1992 dream team had, you want to have all the best players in the league in what was a great era of basketball. Rather than the you best have, era of basketball. Right, rather than having, again, a young guy that obviously didn't play as well in the NBA, who was a big name at Duke, no doubt about that. and The biggest ever. Right, so you have that mantra... You want to have everybody in there. All those guys that normally compete against each other now being on the same team and creating this mantra. If you wanted to do that, having Isaiah Thomas only really improves that mantra more. And again, I don't think they really needed the fear aspect in terms of winning the actual gold medal because they were just so stacked anyway. But in terms of that mantra, in terms of promoting it, in terms of marketing it the way it was, because again... While international basketball was still pretty big, it's not as big as it was now. And Michael Jordan, as we mentioned many times, helped popularize it. Well, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan was a god. And right. Michael Jordan really transitioned the game, not only here, but in the world. Everybody in the world knew who he was. And you heard Charles Barkley. There are only two players he's ever been around in any sport that was as big as Michael Jordan was. And that was Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods. Those were the only two players, two athletes he's ever been around as big everywhere they went, they were they were gods. And Michael Jordan, what makes Michael Jordan so interesting and a lot of people talk about his political background and it he wasn't uh, going to step in with uh, the political situation yeah. with the North Carolina um, Senate or mayor or yeah. governor or whatever yeah. the heck it was and he decided to step away. He he was not going to be a part of the political side of it, and, and that's Michael Jordan. He was all about his game and being the best that he could be, and he didn't want to get any. He didn't want to be part of any political background of anything. Right, so, especially with the positive effect he was having, just in general. Obviously, there. Were- Plus, he he had a, he has a brand, and his brand was the Jordan sneaker, and he didn't want to throw his brand to the dirt. Now, God forbid. He decided to step in the political end of it. It could have affected his brand. It could have. Mm -hmm. We're seeing it now, too, with all the backlash that any kind of political comment received. Obviously, the media presence wasn't as big then, but in terms of just the icon that Jordan was, even, again, fan bases that hated him, they still, again, knew who he was. You probably still bought his shoes, everything like that. I didn't until now. No, maybe, maybe not you. I'm just saying some maybe did. I. The point is the mantra that he brought in terms of his game, if he says something political, which, again, that could tick anyone off no matter what party you're on, that, again, could have affected him in terms of the way that he was thought of, even, again, the way he was thought of across the league, too, if there were differences in politics. Now, players stand up for themselves most of the time, but in terms of the political mantra, there's not going to be anyone that's going to be perfectly in line with each other. It's the smartest thing Michael Joyner could have done, and Absolutely. I don't care what anybody says – he stayed away from the one thing he knew nothing about. And I know a lot of people didn't like that. Uh, President Obama, who was actually – well, the ex-President Obama, who mm-hmm. was actually on 
uh, he was the, on both episodes. The documentary, yeah. mm-hmm. and he talked about Michael Jordan and that he thought Michael Jordan should have done more. I think Michael Jordan was right. He has nothing to do with the politics. He stayed away from it. Michael Jordan also had a brand with Nike, and he didn't want to be with Nike. In the beginning, he wanted to be with Adidas, but Adidas uh, at the time was not doing well in sales, and they didn't (laughs) want to bring in anybody else to wear their product because they had so many NBA superstars under their product. So Michael Jordan had an offer from Nike to come in and talk to some of their executives, and he didn't want to do that. And his mother and his father pushed him, and he got one of the biggest sneaker deals in NBA history at the time, I think was $250,000 guaranteed. Now Michael Jordan's shoes are worldwide. It's the biggest selling sneaker in the world, and he makes about $45, $50 million from Nike every single year. And this is a guy that hasn't played in the NBA for almost 15 years. And he's still just known that well worldwide and I'm sure Adidas is now going to regret that for the rest of their lives as not being maybe as prominent of a sneaker in the NBA. They're more of now you look at them for like soccer and stuff like that. Music. Musicians that that like to wear it. And and, and again, Michael Jordan liked Adidas, but Adidas didn't give him the offer and he really didn't want to go with Nike. And it showed you really how faithful he is to the Nike brand because at the Olympics, the Reebok organization, Reebok, uh, built their um, jackets, their jackets, and their their pants, and that they wanted all the NBA players, all the dream team, to wear those when they they were receiving their gold medals. Mm-hmm. And Michael Jordan wore it, but he wore a flag over the Reebok sign because he felt it was going to disrespect the brand of Nike and his brand under Nike. And and that just shows you how Michael Jordan looked at not just his brand, but as a brand, as a whole. And Nike was the one that gave him his opportunity, and he made sure that he was protecting the brand of Nike. Didn't he wear that again in the 96 Olympics, too, when he was uh, in the opening ceremony? He wore that same thing over his uh, over that warm-up jacket? I, I don't know. Because I, 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 know, I don't know. Because I know he was still trying to stand by being that representative for Nike and, of course, what it became in, in Air Jordan. So, obviously, he was still trying to stand by that, too. So, he did a good job in terms of, I guess indirect branding with with that jordan company and hence it's huge worldwide (laughs) it's incredible it really is when you when you look at the story but the fact that scotty pippen was never respected the way he should have been respected by the chicago bulls organization is is absolutely remarkable because i didn't know that i've watched the bulls and i i've been a nick fan my whole life i grew up a nick fan and by the way they disrespected patrick ewing so much on that documentary. And I understand Michael Jordan doesn't like Patrick Ewing and didn't like the New York Knicks. And the New York Knicks have really been uh, an organization that he couldn't stand playing against because they used to toss him into the audience every time he went up for a layup, if you remember the New York Knicks teams. Mm -hmm. And Xavier McDaniel being one of them. And Xavier McDaniel was on one of the radio stations out here talking about those Knicks and that he was traded for Charles Smith if you remember. And Charles Smith was the reason why the Knicks didn't win the championship in 1994. Yeah, they were presenting it, I think, in the in episode five, I think it was, as the the Knicks were portrayed as that new, that new Pistons kind of thing. Obviously not to the same popularity level that the bad boy Pistons branded themselves as, but the same effect, as you, as you mentioned many times. It's crazy when you, when you think about the New York Knicks and, and really what the Chicago Bulls did to the New York Knicks all those years when the Nick teams were the best Nick teams we've seen since the 70s. And I never got a chance to see the 70 Knicks. So 
they had chances for like seven years to, to, to get to the Eastern Conference Finals and, and jump over the hump against the Indianapolis uh, Pacers. Pacers, the Indiana Pacers, or, or, or the Chicago Bulls, or the Orlando Magic, and they could never get over the hump. And when they finally did get over the hump and win the Eastern Conference Finals, they had to play the Rockets. And I, I didn't realize they were actually up 2-0 in one of those series, too. I thought it was just the Bulls were just that big of a kryptonite to everybody, but the Knicks were up and up 2 nothing, and then they just lost badly. Well, that. that was because Michael Jordan couldn't take it anymore, and everybody remembers Michael Jordan went to Atlantic City, which was another thing that they brought up right, in the documentary the with, his, yep. with his father, mm -hmm. and a lot of people believe one of the main reasons why his father is not here anymore was because of gambling, and Michael Jordan is a gambler, and, and you saw that when they were on the airplane, Michael Jordan was playing with the with the guys that wanted to spend money, he was playing poker, and he would throw so much money into the pot so people wouldn't bet on the pot. That that's the way he played. And then he'd go all the way up to the front of the front of the plane to play like dollar hands right. with 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 blackjack with some of the guys that didn't have the money that Michael Jordan had in his pocket. So, and Michael Jordan was always a competitor. He didn't like to lose. He didn't believe in losing. And that was the greatness of Michael Jordan. Wasn't the fact that Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan. It was the fact that he didn't believe in losing and he didn't believe in giving up. And that was the greatness of who he was as a player. Considering the fact that how much he's involved with his brand, his personal brand, and obviously Air Jordan, I'm surprised he would have been that involved in terms of the gambling aspect of it. I, I understand doing it on occasion. I mean, the poker, blackjack, you want to have fun with your teammates, your friends, whatever. But he seemed like he was, it was a passion for him. And, and that was something that was very surprising to me. It's not surprising to me when you're a competitor and you like to win and you're, you're a winner and you've always known winning. Look everywhere he's gone. Even in high school, when they didn't pick him to make the team the first mm -hmm. year he was out there, right. he made sure he got back on the court and proved to everybody why he was the best player on the court. And then he went to North Carolina, and he was at the time when he was in North Carolina, he wasn't even the best player going into right. his freshman year, mm -hmm. and he completely took over. Completely took over. And then when Michael Jordan came into the league, he was a dominant player. Everywhere he went, he won. Everywhere. Everything he's done. Except being an owner, and that's why Barkley is taking shots at him. <laughs> Barkley, took I think shots he just needs a reason to take shots. No, Barkley and him are best friends. That's that's the fact. Yeah, but and Barkley would never. And you're wrong, Speedy, because you can laugh all you want, and I I am going to step in on this. Charles Barkley has never spoke bad about Michael Jordan at all. Never taking. No, I'm shots. not saying directly at Michael Jordan. I just think Charles Barkley likes to just make a bunch of random hot takes. Just but to that make has a random nothing to do takes. with Michael Jordan. You like. <laughs> Yes, about the Knicks and about the other organizations, but not about Michael Jordan, who is like a brother to him. And the fact that he came out and he took shots at Michael Jordan as an executive only shows you that Charles Barkley is only speaking the truth. Michael Jordan has not been a good executive. He hasn't won anything. And when he had a chance to sign his best player, he let him go to free agency to the Celtics. Kemba Walker was his best player, the best player he's ever drafted. And he decided to let him walk away and go to the Celtics. Do you think that's him, though, or do you think that's it was the way him. of the league? He is the owner. He is the owner of the team. He could pay that player. He has the bird rights of that player. He could pay him the most amount of money. He decided to let him go to the Celtics. And look how good the Celtics played with Kemba Walker on the team this year. Yeah, I'm just saying in terms of the way, even for the max amount of contracts you can get. The Speedy, they are so under the salary cap, it's not even funny. He, they're so out under the No, the I'm not cap. even saying the, their salary cap. I'm saying if they offer the max that you can offer them and another, another competitive team, another great team like the Celtics offers the same. The Celtics can't offer them the same amount that they can offer them. 
they per year have, they can they just can't after the extra year. That's right. So they can't offer him the extra year like they can. And he could have offered Kemba Walker that. He decided to not give him that money, to not give him the extra year. And that's Michael Jordan's fault. You don't give up a superstar player when they're very hard to find. Kemba Walker is a superstar player. He was wrong. And I want to hear about, well, you know, he, he made a couple of bad moves in the draft, Kwame Brown and, and, and <laughs> different players that he, he, made, uh, he, he made decisions on that we, he was completely wrong. And he made a lot Adam of bad Morris. decisions. <laughs> He's made a lot of bad decisions as an executive, and that's why mm-hmm. Charles Barkley took a shot at him. But that doesn't mean that you, you stop talking to one of your best friends because he took a shot at you in a public eye. <laughs> Michael Jordan for years has been ta- – people have taken shots at him. But there's really nothing to take shots out of a person that's always won. And because he's not winning as an executive, he took it to heart. Was, was Michael Jordan the one that flipped off Charles Barkley at one of those sports awards, or is that someone else? Because I know I read about that over the summer. No, it was a Hall of Fame. Okay. That was a Hall of Fame when he, he invited the guy that took his spot. And he didn't flip him. He said, please stand up. Oh. The guy that took his spot at the Hall of Fame, he made sure the guy that took his spot on the team in his freshman year, and he didn't make the, the basketball. Oh, okay. So he made sure... <laughs> To, to invite him to the Hall of Fame in Doc D and ask him to stand so everybody could remember that face. Uh-huh. Michael Jordan made sure to put that on the lantern. Next and it, level pettiness right yeah, there. No, that's like Michael it. Jordan. He's the competitive person. He made sure that he wanted to make an announcement that people, you know, over the years really didn't respect him until he really came into the NBA and realized people realized the superstar player that he was. And he was look. He wasn't even the first round draft. He wasn't the number one pick in that draft. <laughs> good job, good job, Trailblazers and Pacers. <laughs> he wasn't even the number one pick in that year. He was the third pick in that draft. Mm-hmm. And he's one of the. He's the greatest basketball player ever to live. So Michael Jordan has always been disrespected. And he always had to try to prove a point. So if he wants to try to prove a point right now, find a way not to trade off or let. Superstar players go on your team, your organization, and build around those superstar players. Something that you saw Jerry Krause do year in and year out. The guy that you've been taking shots at, a guy that's dead. He can't stick up for himself. That, to me, is obnoxious by Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, and Dennis Rodman. He's definitely got a bad rap. And Phil Jackson. If there's anything you could take a shot at in this documentary, how much of a bad rap has Jerry Krause gotten? Jeez. Huge. And he has... No way to stand, stand up for himself. And to me, the, the, the Chicago Bulls of the 98, the 98 Chicago Bulls, the 97 Chicago Bulls, and even the 96 Chicago Bulls, the way they disrespected Jerry Krause is ridiculous. This guy built a good team around Michael Jordan. Yes, he didn't draft Michael Jordan. Rob Thorne did. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. But every single – he drafted Scottie Pippen. He's the one who moved up after, after Seattle. I think it was Seattle. Seattle that drafted in 87, him. yeah. They drafted him. He made sure he made a trade to get Scottie Pippen mm-hmm. for the Chicago Bulls. He's the one who made a move to bring Dennis Rodman there. He was the one that built, uh, built the team around, brought uh, Paxton in and, and Longley. And, uh, Will, and obviously he took shots at Will Perdue, which he called him <laughs> Will, Will Vanderbilt. Because he didn't, he didn't think he deserved the name Will Perdue. Michael Jordan was a very unique player. And he was the best player 
on the court. Every time he stepped on the court, it didn't matter if it was Barkley, Elijah one, or anybody. He was the best player on the court. So he had every right to speak up on the way he felt about players in the league, just as much as those players have every right to speak about Michael Jordan. When we come back, we're going to have a second, uh, second guest, uh, NFL writer Ian Hartitz here at Below the mic, I'm sorry. I keep saying down to the wire. It's, it's back and forth. It's either down to the wire or below the mic. But here on Below the Mic. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero. This is Below the Mic. Not down to the wire. I like to go back and forth with it, but... Down to the Wire is only Monday and Tuesdays. Tonight is below the mic, as you guys know, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Now we have our second guest, and I was looking forward to interviewing this guy. I, 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 I read a lot of his stuff that he posts up on Twitter. He writes for RotoWorld.com. We are now talking to NFL writer Ian Hartitz. How are you doing, uh, Ian? How are you Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, you know, big time. So we've got the NFL schedule being released today. Maybe the most uh, ridiculous day of the year on the NFL calendar, but I guess we'll take it. How are your family doing? Things are good, man. Things are good. It's uh, just been, you know, chill staying inside. And, you know, as for the work day, it's just been business as usual for the most part. So excited to hopefully get some normalcy back in the upcoming months. Well, we're looking forward to it, that's for sure. We're hearing the NFL is definitely going to happen. The major leagues, if everything goes through, it'll be July. And, and basketball and hockey might be back uh, as, soon as, as soon as June. So I'm looking forward to it. 100%, man, 100%. And, no, it, it's, it's going to be soon. There's going to be some changes. And you know, just one of those things in football, I think, specifically, is we got to realize – these are different times. It's going to be a different season. So, you know, especially I know we've been talking up this wide receiver class of 2020, like they're just the you know, best thing we've seen in decades. But <laughs> just remember these, these young rookies, these young 2021 year olds aren't going to have as many reps as they're used to having in these offenses with those quarterbacks. So I would suggest everyone kind of, you know, put your expectations just a little bit lower for these uh, young and coming in the league. Well, speaking of the NFL draft, because, Everybody keeps talking about the virtual draft. What did you think about the virtual draft going into this year's first NFL uh, spectating virtual draft? Oh, I thought it was great. I don't know how we can go back to the normal setup before. I mean, you know, before we had all these just regular, you know, ESPN employees, whoever they might be, just talking at a desk in Chicago or Philly, wherever it might be. Now we get to see what the inside of their homes look like. We get random dog appearances. I mean, the, and then the whole thing with the prospects as well. I mean, you, you know, all those kids must have had to uh, clean that room like 20 <laughs> for 20 hours to make sure mom was happy with everything. So I love just all the unintentional comedy going on because I did attend the first ever draft in Chicago that got uh, moved from New York. And, you know, it was a fun atmosphere, fun being there. But you know, you really realize how long it is between picks when you're just sitting there grinding out pick after pick. So it was a nice relief to, I think, the usual draft atmosphere for sure. Do you think the virtual draft contributed to the fact why there weren't a lot of huge trades, no trades in the top 10 at all, and not a lot of huge trades involving like multiple first round picks, stuff like that? You think the virtual draft was the biggest reason for that, or do you think there's something else? It could have been for sure. Also, it might have just been a little bit chance. I feel like usually we see those real big trades happen when it's a quarterback. And, you know, since he was happy to stay at one and get Burrow, I think uh, there was enough 
um, kind of question marks surrounding Tua and his medical, not really forced one there. So maybe it was the whole virtual part of the process that limited the trades, not necessarily the draft. Because I think teams, you know, if you are going to send that much capital or these, you know, really good players uh, back and forth across teams, not being able to have physicals and having kind of those normal resources that we're used to uh, definitely could have played a part in that. We are talking NFL writer Ian Hartes. Now, Ian, I, I, I've watched, I watched the draft. We actually did an NFL draft show here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And I watched the top ten, and there were a lot of surprises in my book in my top ten. I was very surprised that C.D. Lamb did not fall in the top ten. Or, Judy, were you surprised that they weren't in the top ten? Yeah, a little bit. You know, it's always um, – I, I try to kind of reserve my opinion on these prospects before they do land on a team just because at the end of the day, if we're trying to predict their NFL success, you know, what these talent evaluators and what the coaches think at the end of the day matters much more than what we think. But, yeah, C.D. Lamb especially just seemed like a guy that, you know, real smart, just uh, the, the Dane Bruglers, you know, the awesome uh, the, the draft wizards of the world were really high on this guy. And to see him fall all the way to 17 was just wild. I mean, I guess it wasn't too surprising to see the Raiders, you know, take the fastest wide receiver in the draft as a nice little homage to Al <laughs> Davis as they've done for all these years. But, yeah, I mean, great landing spot for both Judy and C.D. Lamb. You had to wonder, you know, could they go – to the Jets or the Browns or one of these teams that, you know, would probably would be better off addressing the offensive line as they did. But yeah, I, I was surprised to see those flashy playmakers make it out of the top 10 picks. Cause you know, usually you see a team get overzealous and just pull the trigger. In terms of pick a teams that didn't have picks, a lot of picks or picks in the first round, do you think there's any team that did particularly well in this year's draft with limited resources, just in terms of the quality that they got? important to remember uh, some of these first round picks that were traded, uh, you know, before it happened. So for example, you know, Pittsburgh didn't have a first round pick because they have Minka Fitzpatrick out there on their defense balling out for the last three quarters of the season. Uh, the Colts were able to, um, you know, uh, get uh, Buckner from the 49ers and really solidify that defensive line. So teams that maybe didn't have uh, enough draft, like, so you look at those teams like the Colts and some of these other maybe contenders that, you know, have real complete parts of their team, but they're maybe one or two really good players away. It was interesting to see them get more aggressive, trade that pick for a proven player versus trying to contend with these rookies. Because, again, you know, it's, these rookies are obviously good. They're going to make a difference. But I think as an entire, you know, community of NFL fans and media combined, when we spend – the entire February, March, and April months on these players, you know, we tend to lose track of all the veterans that are slowly, you know, going from second to third year, third to fourth, et cetera, et cetera, that have already been in the system and should be better. So, uh, you know, obviously Cowboys um, had an amazing draft class, Packers bag draft class, but how good or bad can we truly say anything is until like another three or four years down the road? So <laughs> I'm excited like anyone else, but again, just check these expectations just a little bit for these new guys. Ian, what was your thoughts of the Giants drafting Thomas at four and then the Jets drafting Becton at 11? Did you think Becton was a little, was he, a lot of people thought Becton was a better player than Thomas, uh, but uh, Thomas was the best NFL ready uh, offensive tackle in the draft. Did you think that the Giants won with Thomas getting him at four or do you think they should have uh, maybe drafted Simmons? I mean, he was their guy. I think, you know, at this point, they're committing to Daniel Jones as their quarterback. And if you want to do everything in your power to help your rookie quarterback, fixing the offensive line that, you know, was definitely, I think, the weak spot in that entire offense should be a priority. So, you know, Simmons, and it's amazing when you hear, like, these real versatile 
uh, players, you know, Derwin James, and one that's come out, and 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 people kind of wonder, like, oh, he needs to go to the right system for a defensive coach to really utilize his talents. Like, isn't that the entire job of a coach is to fit your system around <laughs> what your players do best? So, I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't have minded if anyone drafted Simmons in the you know third or fourth or whatever it is because he's that great of a player. But you know, I, I can't hate on the Giants too much for taking Thomas, trying to solidify that offense even more because look there's i don't think their defense is one player away from being even an average unit at this point but you start looking at those wide receivers if evan ingram stays and saquon barkley obviously if he's healthy again all of a sudden you got a sneaky explosive offense out there that can score some points so you know they're kind of like the cowboys did the same way i i respect these teams that kind of lean in try to make their strength more of a strength versus maybe reaching and try to fill a hole in terms of Simmons in particular, how do you think he'll be utilized in Arizona the most? Vance Joseph being the defensive coordinator ran kind of a hybrid defense when he was coaching the Dolphins as a defensive coordinator. What positions do you think they will be using him the most? Because obviously he could play everything. What do you think they'll emphasize with him the most? Yeah, I think he's just this latest breed of these you know, hybrid safety linebackers. You know, In the early 2000s, uh, we had that real fun safety class. You know, your Troy Polamalu's, your... Ed Reed's flying around out there. Bob Sanders was in there for a year. My favorite was Roy Williams. But now you need these new players that can both cover, you know, slot receivers and go into the box and be a linebacker when the offense is trying to spread things out. So we're seeing guys like Derwin James and the Chargers, like Jamal Adams with the Jets. And now like Isaiah Simmons, who I think is going to be the next guy of that breed. And I think it's going to be, you know, just a linebacker safety role because nowadays if you're trying to play linebacker and you can't cover, you're a complete liability. So, Simmons is one of those true rare four down players and that, you know, you never need to take them off the field. It's a little concerning with Arizona just because we've seen them really draft like these similar type players with Deion Buchanan and Hassan Reddick over the years. So again, like you want to assume that coaches are going to do everything in their power to, uh, to put Simmons in the best position to succeed, which shouldn't be that hard because there's so many things he does well, but sometimes you just never know. And if, you know, they'd really try to just pound a, uh, you know, a uh, circle into the square peg or whatever the heck the expression is, it's not, it might not work out sometimes. So as good, as great a player as Simmons is, you know, we're going to need to see exactly what they have in mind. At the end of the day, just let the guy play football because he's great at it. No, writer Ian Hartis. Now, we just got off the phone with uh, Ralph Mancini, the Packers uh, writer for uh, Pack2TheFuture.com and PackersTalk.com. He, he really gave us some good information about the Packers and their draft class. What did you think about the Packers moving from 30 to 26 to add Jordan Love to their team? I wasn't exactly surprised just because this is, I mean, you know, Favre was 36 when the Packers got Aaron Rodgers, and now Rodgers is 36, and their NFL experience was the same. Now, was it it wasn't exactly surprising. Was it a good move? I don't think so because the problem is, I mean, the Packers are treating this like they were, and you know, kudos to them for getting to the NFC Championship last year and having as good of a season as they did, but I think they're kind of treating this like the team they had last year was good enough to get the job done. And if you just peel back the stats a little bit and don't look at the win-loss record, I mean, it's brutal. They were 17th in yards per play last season on offense. I mean, Rodgers is, even though he he makes some big plays, you know, having Aaron Rodgers back, back there and anything can happen in any game, I get that. But we just haven't seen the same efficiency in that passing game really since kind of that Jordy Nelson great 2014 season. Rodgers is still awesome. He's averaging, you know, high sevens. But we're seeing him operate as, you know, a top – 
12 quarterback in most of these passing statistics instead of the top three world beater we grew used to for years. So you got an offense that really over overachieved in terms of points, a defense that was similar as well and just could not stop the running game. I mean, that was the biggest kryptonite. We saw that when you know, Raheem Mostert and company just ran all through them. And, you know, to use your most important pick on the entire draft on a player that if everything goes right, won't take a single snap next season. It's confusing. And you see why Aaron Rodgers is mad. You know, you see why, like, why can't they give him any other wide receiver talent than Devin Funches and Alan Lazard or Lazard or Lizard. However the heck you Lizard. Say so, you know, Rodgers. Almost as hard as uh, to pronounce your last name. Blow up, but man. In terms of the Packers, you were talking about the run defense. Uh, are you surprised that maybe they didn't trade up with that first pick to maybe get a linebacker at the end of that draft? Because people talk about the receivers all the time as being the thing they didn't draft. But I thought in terms of getting the run defense, either interior defensive line or linebacker, but especially with the linebacker talent at the end of that first round, are you surprised that wasn't the reason they traded up? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they didn't need to take a first round receiver because, this, again, this wide receiver class was so deep and we saw guys – going off in the third round. You got you got Raiders Nation talking themselves into Brian Edwards, their third-round pick, outproducing Henry Ruggs, their first-round pick this year. I mean, there's a ton of guys available there. It's just the fact they didn't address receiver, like even in free agency. They didn't do it at all. They got rid of Jimmy Graham. They didn't add another. I mean, look, I'm, I'm maybe putting anyone in there over Graham at this point in his career. It's going to be a moderate <laughs> upgrade, but it's not even giving them a, themselves a chance. Now you're, dra- I mean, you're drafting an early ground, early uh early down grinder and AJ Dillon in round two, like why? Like running back is one of the few spots in your team that doesn't look bad with Aaron Jones and, you know, uh, Jamal Williams doing his thing as well. So yeah, I mean, linebacker was a huge need. I'm, I'm shocked they didn't address it. Maybe they feel because, you know, Zadarius and Preston on the outside uh, can hold things down. I mean, they're great. They can get pressure. They can create havoc. And, you know, it's better in today's NFL to be good at pass defense and run defense. But again, do anything with that first round pick other than spend it on a guy that's not going to play this year. <laughs> Ian, we had John Daigle on a show on Monday, and he gave us some good insight of what he thought about the NFL draft. And I've asked a lot of these analysts and writers what, they, what did they think of this year's draft. As far as I'm concerned, uh, the top five teams that you thought won the draft and the three worst teams that lost the draft. Where would you rate them and who would it be? Yeah, I'm mean, just kind of going through it. It's hard to look at the Cowboys draft and not, you know, be impressed with what they did just because we all kind of expected them to reach on that cornerback early. But for them to come away with CeeDee Lamb and then get digs uh, round two, you know, th- th- now we're checking boxes and we're getting value at the same time. So absolutely love to see what they did. I mean, the Chiefs, we, we mocked drafting a running back in the first round, but, I mean, we're not going to be laughing, I think, when we see Clyde Edwards-Hilaire just add a whole new dimension to this offense. And that was really the big thing they talked about in Kansas City. They just haven't found that way to replace Kareem Hunt and give him that, you know, extra dynamic threat in both the run and pass game. So, you know, all respect to Damian Williams. He does his thing. But I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is really going to be a difference maker. We're going to see show up quickly. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens continue just to add to this defense. And, you know, I'm really getting some uh, 2018 and 2019 Chiefs vibes from this Ravens team going from last year to this year because, I mean, they had the blitz more than anyone last year to try to get pressure. They had good corners. I mean, it worked out for them. They were a top five defense on most metrics. That was a little bit inflated by their offense. But being able to, you know, address the linebacker spot, replace C.J. Mosley, replace the Darius Smith like they failed to do last year, um, happy with some of the moves they made. And they could go from a top 10 defense to a sure locked-in top five. Uh, in terms of some of the bad drafts, uh, like we said, Green Bay. Also, I mean, look, 
Bill Belichick knows more in his, you know, little <laughs> fingernails than I know my entire body about football. But how much longer can we just let these drafts go and say, well, he got Brady in the sixth round in 2000, so he knows, <laughs> you know, everything there is to know about drafting. I mean, we're looking at the Patriots, and I didn't think, I don't think Brady is washed by any stretch of the imagination, but if that's what we're believing, which I think is true, it's that that offense then last year couldn't run the ball. They didn't have anyone that could separate. The offensive line was good, not great. And now we're almost assuredly having a drop-off in QB play with Stidham on their center. If that's really the route we're going to go. So, you know, I, I, I refuse to believe the idea that Bill Belichick is tanking. I, the guy's too competitive. It's not happening. And, like, just, again, if you really think he's going to tank for Trevor Lawrence, then you, you really expect the Patriots to go 1-15 or 2-14 and 14 next year? No. More power to you, but that's not what Vegas thinks. and <laughs> That's not what uh, I, I think most people around the league are believing. But with that said, like, okay, if you're in win-now win mode, I don't think they did all that much to win now with just a pair of tight ends before round four. So uh, Patriots, Packers, not so good drafts. And I like the Cowboys, uh, Chiefs, and Ravens at the top. Well, I will, I will say this. Me and you have something in common. We both <laughs> picked the Cowboys. I, I, out of all my draft, I thought the Cowboys were the number one team. And I thought Arizona was very, very good. And I also thought the Jets uh, drafted very, very well as well. Mm. Ian, yeah. for moving on from picks to players, are there any – are there any picks or players in the first round that maybe popular consensus liked in terms of them being a great pick that you thought was a bad pick or a reach or maybe a bad fit for that particular team? Yeah, so it's interesting to see what's going on here with uh, Justin Herbert and the Chargers because he, he's this player who you look at his athleticism and you see someone that doesn't necessarily you know come off the film at you. You see a more athletic guy, someone that should be able to when the play breaks down, you really get outside the pocket and make some things happen. But that's just not quite the guy that we saw at Oregon. You know, the, the highlight film looks awesome. He can make any throw on the field, uh, rocket arm. He does have some mobility. So, you know, when they design something going out of the pocket, he looks good doing it. But just not enough off-script goodness from Herbert in a league that, you know, again and again, you see teams with the Jimmy Garoppolo's, with the Jared Goff's, when everything is perfect, they can really thrive. But when it's not perfect, it can get ugly pretty quickly. And I think that's, you know, what the Chargers could be looking at here with Herbert. Because now, once again, poor Tyrod Taylor, but the guy needs to go into uh, week one of the season knowing that, okay, you're the starter probably, but, you know, any small cold stretch and you're getting benched for our top 10 <laughs> rookie. Uh, just having that whole situation on the table for a Chargers team that, you know, year after year we look at their roster and they are an incredibly talented team uh, from top to bottom. Most of these spots, they continuously find the weirdest ways uh, to lose these games. So I'm, uh, you know, definitely under the impression that Herbert was the third at best quarterback in this class. Really? And I, I, it's just one of those positions where like, Go up and get your guy if, if you want someone. I don't know why you're kind of just waiting for the guy to fall into your lap. Maybe Herbert will ball out, and I'll look like an idiot for saying this, but <laughs> it, just, it just seemed like they kind of let him fall to him. They just haven't had a coherent plan all offseason for how they're going to enter 2020 when, again, I, I think if they had a better plan, they could actually you know, not compete with the Chiefs or the division, but you know, maybe sneak into a wild card. Weirder things have happened. We are talking NFL writer Ian Hartitz. Now, Ian, uh, Cam Newton's available right now, and a lot of people say that Cam Newton should sit out this season and collect the money that is owed to him, or because there's no team right now out there that is a Super Bowl contender that is looking for a quarterback. But you just mentioned the Chargers, who just added Justin Herbert, who might not be ready to be an NFL quarterback. 
Why can't the Chargers reach out to Cam Newton and say, you know what, we'll sign you two years, we'll bring you in, and you'll help us try to win a Super Bowl? So there's a report that came out today that was saying how Cam actually might now be willing to look at taking a backup job. But I, even, even then, I would think he would want to go somewhere like, you know, like a deal Marcus Mariota got with the Raiders where you're making a decent chunk of change and you kind of know that, hey, if this starter – doesn't get things going, doesn't get things turned around, you could have a chance to go in. When you go to back up a uh, rookie quarterback that just got drafted in the top 10 picks, I mean, you just got to be realistic about what that entails. I mean, out of all the QBs drafted in the top 10 picks since 2010, only three of them have started less than 10 games as a rookie. I mean, I know we point to Patrick Mahomes and how successful that was, but other than him, it's only been Jared Goff and Jake Locker are these top 10 picks that haven't gotten on the field for at least 10 starts of start season. So, yeah, I mean, would the fit be cool there? I would love it. I love Cam in New England as well. I would love Cam uh, with the Las Vegas Raiders. But it just it just doesn't seem likely. And, unfortunately, teams just have kind of given them the cold shoulder for now. I think a lot of it is just because, again, as we kind of talked about earlier, you can't do usual uh, physical checks. You can't have your doctors fly across the country to do it. And, you know, when – it's a spot where you got to kind of wonder what's the role for this guy. I just think it's been a little more um, quote-unquote trouble these teams want to put forward. And you were speaking about New England, and New England might be looking for a quarterback. Cam Newton's available right now. Uh, I, my argument here, and you have Fitzpatrick too, who could be available too, that could fit New England's type of offense. Do you think Cam Newton would really fit over there in New England with Bill Belichick? Yeah, I think. That, I mean, look at the look at the Patriots. Remember when uh, Brady got suspended four games for right. Goodell disagreeing with science, and he got. We saw Garoppolo come out first two games, kill it, gets hurt. They're home underdogs against the Texans. Jacoby, we didn't know who Jacoby Brissett was at this point. They asked Jacoby to throw the ball like ten times. It was this wild run-heavy game plan that completely caught Houston off guard. I mean, Bill Belichick's like staple as a coach is he'll change his entire team's philosophy from one week to the next, just to counter what a, an opponent does wrong. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's cr- crazy thinking, you know, you should ex- try to exploit what your opponent doesn't do well. And Cam Newton, you know, uh, wh- whatever you want to complain about the guy, which is that he had a foot injury that wouldn't let him play this year. In the second half of the 2018 season, his shoulder was so bad, they had to pull, pull him for Hail Mary so someone could actually get the ball down there. <laughs> this guy just hasn't been healthy for over a year and a half. And before that, I mean, look at the 2015 Super Bowl team where you're throwing the Jericho Cotri and Ted Ginn and, you know, Philly Brown, guys that couldn't even catch on as complimentary receivers elsewhere. It's honestly amazing Cam accomplished what he did in his time at Carolina, and people wonder if he can fit into the system. Cam Newton is the system. He's one of the best rushing quarterbacks ever. We've got minimal experience of him with actual receivers in a legitimate passing game. He was setting career-high marks, completion rate, and things like that under North Turner that first half of 2018 season just hasn't been healthy. So maybe if what it takes for Cam is to get a starting job again, is to go join an organization, really, really buy in and, you know, get inside the walls for a year before he can take over. If that's what he has to do, then, you know, so be it. But it's a shame because I don't think anyone can debate that Cam is a top 32 quarterback on the planet right now. Oh, absolutely. Not even a question. Do you think, what do you think are the biggest reasons that maybe he hasn't been signed yet? Do you think it's maybe just not a lot of spots open? Do you think that it, it's the injury? Do you think it's money? Maybe he wants to get paid like a starter. What do you think are the biggest factors to contribute to why he's not signed? I think the big thing is just the unknown with the injuries. We haven't seen the guy be healthy. And, you know, when someone is 
I don't want to call him overly reliant, but when such a large part of his productivity is tied to his legs, you know, we got to know how this foot injury was healing. So uh, if there's been holdups and kind of getting that medical information, that would make the most sense to me. And also, I think teams are just, you know, we, we see this with some of these quarterbacks. They, uh, if they don't initially go off the board early free agency, teams are going to wait for the draft to go through, reassess, see what their roster looks like now, move forward. You know, maybe he catches on soon. If not, you know, we could maybe see him wait until August for an injury to happen to hop on late. But it's an unknown right now, and I wish we had more answers. Ian, are you surprised that Andy Dalton signed with the Cowboys and they didn't They didn't give Dak Prescott the contract that he wanted? Or do you think this might be the end of Dak Prescott after this? No, this is not a quarterback competition. I think it's <laughs> one of the more hilarious storylines going around this week. Dak Prescott is the Cowboys quarterback. The Cowboys last season – became one of 11 teams in the last 50 years to average at least six and a half yards per play. I mean, they weren't the Baltimore Ravens, but, you know, they were pretty dang good out there, and everything's looking like they could be even better on paper for next season. So Dak's been nothing short of remarkable. I know the wins and losses haven't quite been there yet, but, you know, wins and losses aren't really the best uh, quarterback stat to completely hang your hat on. You need more than one stat to tell the story just about any uh, in any wake of life. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what the Cowboys are, are doing here at Dak. But the thing with Dalton is that he lives in, he lives in Texas. So he gets to stay with his family through this whole pandemic, making money from the Cowboys, from the comfort of being there. And look, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of like the Nick Foles deal that he got in Philly after winning the Super Bowl, where if Dalton doesn't have to play all season, doesn't, doesn't take a single snap, he's only going to make $3 million. But if that goes down, Dalton has to resume life as a starting quarterback. He's getting his incentives and making more money. So uh, back to quarterback job. I know we were talking uh, smack about Jordan Love earlier, but the idea with that is like this, this is a developmental quarterback. He, like even if something happened to Rodgers, I don't think Green Bay would necessarily be expecting to compete right now with Jordan Love. But the Dalton deal, I mean, go ahead. Get you a good backup quarterback because they sure as heck weren't going to be competing with Cooper Rush before if Dak would have gone down. It kind of – you know, same thing with Philly. I, I was pretty harsh on the Jalen Hurts uh, draft pick in the second round at first. But, you know, looking back on it, it's a pretty cheap way, all things considered, with what these backup quarterbacks are making these days. It's a pretty cheap way to get a talented guy behind your franchise quarterback and give you a chance if your guy goes down uh, to, you know, mess with the rest of the team and hopefully move forward. As we mentioned earlier, we had John Daigle on on Monday, and he was talking about a positionless NFL, and you brought up Jalen Hurts. A lot of people comparing him now to Taysom Hill. We were, had, we were talking about Isaiah Simmons earlier. Do you think that path could definitely be in the makings for the, a lot of these now versatile players that we're seeing both on offense and on defense? I think we're seeing positionless football to an extent. I'm not sure if we'll ever quite see it all the way with you know multiple quarterback type players on the field. But you know, you look at the Rams. You're seeing Robert Woods get 15 to 20 uh, rush attempts per season. Tyreek Hill's lining up in the backfield uh, sometimes. Just more and more. If you can get a player to go on the field and you know be a wide receiver, running back type, where you're a good enough receiver that the defense has to match him with a corner because they know if they try to cover him with a safety or linebacker, then you're already winning. Because if that guy can now run between the tackles, you got a lighter box than you would have had otherwise. Uh, to go up against. So it's just more and more uh, just, you know, try to manipulate matchups, get your playmakers in space, you know, especially in like San Francisco. I mean, they just can't stop adding these guys that are (laughs) uh, great with the ball in their hands after the catch. So yeah, it's definitely moving more towards positionless football. I have my doubts on if we're going to see anyone else really have this true Taysom Hill S role. It's a little bit overstated, particularly just from the quarterback 
side of things. I mean, Taysom Hill last season never spent more than five snaps in a single game as a quarterback. So I think when we see them out there, it's more in like this running back wide receiver hybrid. We just really haven't seen much extended auditions, you know, of that wildcat QB that can also catch and run the ball around. It looks fun. And when it does work, you know, we see the highlights of it, but uh, I I think in general, it's still a little bit more of just a uh, stick than a lasting impact. We are talking to NFL writer Ian Hartitz. Now, Ian, my last question is, I know a lot of people have spoken very highly of the Buffalo Bills. And we had an NFL, uh, who did we have on the other day? Cynthia Freeland. Cynthia. Who you think is a closet Bills fan, which is not true, but okay. She is a closet (laughs) Bills fan. That's what I thought. I mean, she made a joke about it, but... uh, she gave us a good, uh, a good interview, and, and she really went through all, all the prospects and really what, what winners and losers uh, in the NFL. And she really picked the Bills as the winning, one of the winning teams in this year's draft. And she said what was really funny is they really didn't have a first-round draft because they gave it up for Stefan Diggs. And you look at what they did in the offseason. They added Josh Norman. They added now a a star wide receiver. At least that's what they think they have. And this team has a young quarterback like Josh Allen who played very, very well early in the, early in the first round in the, in the playoffs and then kind of fell off and lost in overtime. Where do you see this team this year, especially with the additions that they've added this offseason? So before the draft, I went through all these rosters, and the two teams that really stuck out to me as if they didn't have many pressing needs to fill entering the draft were the Bills and the Steelers. And you know, just the Bills in particular, like, yes, Josh Allen, he's the type of guy that with your playoff game on the line is going to throw the ball, lateral it to a teammate that may or may not be there in the middle of the field. So he, he's a risk taker. He does a lot of crazy things, but – he brings a lot of good to the table. And as, you know, as mediocre as a lot of his passing stats still were last season, they were a really big step up from his rookie year. And look, he's never had the complete best supporting cast, but we saw it really improve last season. Now we're getting year two with this revamped offensive line. And you're adding Stephon Diggs, who was literally the league's premier field stretcher last season. So if Josh Allen is going to be the answer, they're doing everything right to surround him with talent to help him get there. You know, I'm not super convinced yet. He's very fun to watch play, whether you think he's going to be a longtime franchise quarterback or not. But we'll see how much he can put it together. But if the offense can just even be above average and kind of have the ceiling to maybe go on a little run, they're going to be fine because this defense is ready to go. I mean, they're, you know, they're kind of overtaking the Vikings at this point as just the, the defense that only loses one or two starters per year. They kind of reload those spots anyway, and they're just really difficult to deal with every year, and they have a nice little home field advantage going for them in Buffalo. So I was looking at some uh, defensive MVP odds, and, I mean, Tredavious White was sitting there around 3,500, like outside the top <laughs> Uh, 15 players and you know we just saw what happened in New England with Stephon Gilmore winning it and you know I, I know quarterbacks usually don't win it it's normally a pass rusher that can really get the numbers but truly like just, just Tredavious White he is that good of a player and you know when you're consistently locking up number one wide receivers week after week you can get that shine so yeah I'm, I'm all in on the Bills I think they deserve to be the uh, AFC East favorites whether uh, Josh Allen can go out there and you know is this going to be a uh, 20 20- this is going to be a Jaguar situation where we already saw the best of, you know, a good defense and kind of an erratic quarterback put it together for one year, or is this going to be a better sign of things to come? I'm I'm hoping the uh, latter is true, but I guess we'll find out. I know I said that was my last question, but I have a question because you brought up Josh Allen. 
Um, my question is, you see all these young quarterbacks that have come out of the drafts the last couple of years. Deshaun Watson, you have Patrick Mahomes, you have Sam Darnold, you have Josh Allen, you have Lamar Jackson, you have all these young quarterbacks, the future of the NFL. Which player, of, and I'm not, let's take away Deshaun Watson and let's take away Patrick Mahomes because we know what they are. They're superstar players. What player, what quarterback really stands out to you out of all these young quarterbacks that we've seen in the last couple of years? I think Wentz is going to really put it together. Really? He's going to be the, the guy for a long time. And we've seen him reach that level before. In 2017, he was just he was amazing. He was playing at an MVP level before he got hurt at the end of the season. And we haven't quite seen him put that together for an extended stretch again over the last two years. But it really hasn't been his fault. And, you know, I know we can kind of pick and pick and choose through a lot of these teams and go through injuries and this and that, and every team has to deal with it. But really you look at the 2017 Eagles and what made them so good on offense was, you know, you had Alshon Jeffrey and a really good version of Nelson Aguilar working those intermediate areas of the field, but they had Torrey Smith and Mac Hollins, a good version of him as a rookie who, you know, aren't the best field stretchers in the world, but they're at least enough to make a safety look over there and say, okay, I got to make sure I can get over there if need be. And that just helped open up the entire offense because, you know, look at Ertz, Goddard, these running backs, they need to operate in those intermediate areas of the field. And if you don't have someone that can take the top off the defense, problem's going to happen. 2018 comes around. Holland on IR the whole season. They tried to sign Mike Wallace to replace Torrey Smith. Most people probably never knew he was an Eagle because the guy never played a game all season. <laughs> 2019 comes around. They said, okay, let's get it to Sean Jackson again. Guy goes absolutely nuts in week one, gets hurt, misses the rest of the season. I mean, Carson Wentz literally hasn't been able to play with like a prime field stretcher since 2017. Now he's got D-Jax, hopefully healthy. They traded for Marquise Goodwin. They got Jalen Rieger in the first round, who, you know, just based on some of his QB's deficiencies in college, could be a big steal. Then they just went ahead and signed, like, drafted three more wide receivers that are all clocking the 4-3 or 4-4 range. So, finally, you know, a team we were seeing try to get this big performance out of things called Joshua Perkins and Boston Scott at the end of the season. They finally got just some young, fresh, fast talent out there. I think we're going to see Wentz and potentially the best offense of his career really shine. Last question for me, Ian. What team do you think had the most underrated draft and most overrated draft? Um, that's a pretty good question. I think most overrated is potentially the Broncos, just because, again, I, I like the picks they made. I really do. They're flashy, you know, Hamler, Judy. I think they'll be good players, but – we're just kind of freaking out a little bit over these skill position guys that, again, we've never seen on the field. And particularly just for 2020 alone, it's going to be hard to expect these guys to make, you know, just huge differences right away. I like what they're doing surrounding Drew Locke with it and everything, but I just think maybe, you know, we're expecting a little too much in Denver out of these guys that haven't played a snap yet. You know, are, are they a top 16 draft? Sure. But are they a top three to five draft that some people have been putting them in? Uh, I'm, I'm not quite so sure. And then on the other side of things, Look, the Carolina Panthers, I don't think any one pick was just incredible, but, like, they had by far the league's worst defense entering the draft, and I think they still do. But, hey, <laughs> at least they realized that and spent every single pick on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, if, if you know you have a weakness, go out there and try to fill it. There's something to be said about trying to make a strength a strength, but 
I mean, my goodness, you know, just the, the way their depth chart was looking after losing some of their guys to free agency, they need just to get some young talent on that side of the ball, and it looks like they did. Ian, we definitely want to get you on when the season starts. Uh, you gave us some good insight with the NFL draft. We went all over from Cam Newton to Andy Dalton to some of the young quarterbacks in the league. We really appreciate you joining us. Thank you, guys. That sounds good. We'll definitely touch base again during the season. Absolutely. And why don't you tell the fans how they can find you on social media? Yeah, check me out on Twitter, at iHeart. It's I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. I'm getting usually a column up per day here during the offseason and plenty of podcasts and that stuff along the way. So thanks again, guys. This was fun. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Ian Hartitz. Now, I'll tell you this right now. He gave us some good insight with everything. He went from the NFL draft to Cam Newton to Andy Dalton to every single thing that we needed to get into. So really good insight by Ian. He really gave us some good information. So what did you think, Speedy? Yeah, a very informative interview. Interesting what he said about the Broncos. Interesting what he said with, with recently about Wentz and just about the receivers in general. In I was draft. very surprised he, he said Carlson Wentz because I believe they brought in Hurts because I think he's he's on the trade block. I really do. I, I know it's early and we don't know what Hurts is, but you don't bring a quarterback in the second round and expect him to be a backup quarterback. You don't do that. Right. I also think, too, it was interesting what he was saying with the wide receiver because we've been talking about the receiver draft. It's historic. It's deep. It's really good just all around. And he seems to be, I don't think, down on the actual players themselves. I think just the concepts of how people are just rating them in general in terms of maybe the fit there that'll impact right away because he did mention a lot with that virtual draft and with potential for the OTAs to be delayed, training camps to be delayed. Will they be able to get rhythm right away with these guys, even as talented as a lot of these receivers are. And I was very surprised that he doesn't think Dak Prescott is uh, going anywhere because I do believe that bringing in Andy Dalton is going to affect and a lot of these analysts that we talked about Cynthia and, and John all of them, every single one of them said that Dak's going nowhere, but if you bring in a guy with the background Andy Dalton is, and, and, and Andy Dalton's only 30, 31 years old, he's still, he's still in the prime of his career, and he could play another five, six years, and I think he fits very, very well in that West Coast offense with Mike McCarthy. So, again, I don't think the Cowboys are going to give Dak $35, $40 million a year. I just don't see it. Even though he's going to make close to 25 this year, 29 this year, being franchised, it just it doesn't make sense why they would bring Andy Dalton. Yes, He's a good backup quarterback. Yes, he's from Dallas or he lives in Dallas, so it makes sense. But I think there's a lot more to it that, that they bring somebody of this magnitude in to Dallas. So I I, I, I think he's wrong in that category. So you, I, you I don't think, think it's just him holding out no, potential kind of thing? No, I think, I think Dak Prescott is on his way out. I do not believe the Cowboys are bringing him back after next year. I think he will be on the team this year, and I do not, I do not think he's going to hold out because he wants to prove to all those other teams that he can play in any kind of offense and he can go anywhere and make that kind of money between 30 and $40 million. But I beg to differ. I can't see the Cowboys open up their pockets and giving Dak Prescott $35, 36000000 million. Do you think he could be dealt at the deadline if the Cowboys would say 3-5 and five or 4-4 four and four or something like that? I, I do. I, I think Dak Prescott is on his way out of Dallas, and I do not think he'll be a starter anywhere else. Really? But if he proves himself this year in Mike McCarthy's offense, I do believe that the Cowboys will try to make an offer to him, but if he's not going to get anywhere close to th- between 35 and $40 million, I don't think he's taking that contract. So hmm. I, I think Dak Prescott's on his way out. I, I disagree with Ian, but a lot of things Ian said, he really got – you know, he really got to the ends of everything. And we went to the Bills. He really thought uh, the Bills had a very good offseason so far. And they think he thinks they're going to be AFC champions. I do, too. I think uh, you can argue it's either the Jets 
or Buffalo. I think Miami's on a rebuilding stage still, right. and I and I do believe that the Patriots are going to take a step back. Not by much, but... No, they'll be competitive. Yes. They'll win at home kind of thing. They're I think, eight I think eight, they're 7-9, seven, 8-8, eight eight, eight, something like that, because... Bill Belichick's coaching alone is going to steal some games for teams that either play down to them or teams that don't game plan well. Like we've seen in the past, the Patriots will have their random duds at times, but they'll destroy a team that's very talented. I was very, very impressed with Ian and his answers. And he really, he really explained everything that he thought on, on the draft and, and really went to the ins and the outs. And we didn't really get into the Jets and the Giants. We did ask him the question. Did, uh, well, I asked him the question. Did you think that the Giants were reaching with Thomas and the Jets, uh, the Giants should have drafted Becton? He really didn't answer that question. He pretty much just said that Thomas was the best fit for the Giants and Becton might have been the best fit for the Jets. Which is interesting because after the combine, the Giants were saying how they liked Becton the most, which mm-hmm. was interesting. But they obviously didn't, that didn't happen. And Tristan Wirfs was their guy after I that. I think that was all... You know, trying, screens, yeah, right. it was a smoke screen, screen because he didn't. They didn't want any other team to get Thomas. But I was very, very interested how he answered that question. And he said they both fit both offenses, and they both are going to play very, very well uh, on on respectable teams. So I was very impressed with Ian. I was also very impressed with Ma- Ralph Mancini. I, and I'll tell you this, Ian Hartitz. He told me Hartitz. I, I, it was very hard to pronounce his name because he says the the T and the I is kind of like it's not silent, but it's there. So it's like a roll kind yeah, of. Yeah. So I, I was trying to roll it off my tongue. It was very very hard in the beginning. But anyways, uh, that's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we'll be back below the mic. We'll be back next week on Thursday. Down to the wire. We'll be back on Monday. So will the Morning Boys on Monday. Uh, no uh, caged in MMA, uh, which will be next Friday. With me and Anthony, Anthony Andorosi, I'm very excited. We're going to have some uh, very special guests, MMA fighters, that are going to be joining us uh, next week on Friday. So very interested and very intrigued on who those guys will be. Uh, Speedy, you have anything to say before we go? Thank you for all the guests that came on this week. Ralph Mancini, Ian Hartitz, <laughs> Cynthia Freeland. Uh, John uh, Daigle. Daigle. And who were the other two guys? You, uh, we had uh, Dan Carubia. What are you laughing about? No, I was laughing because you finally got his first name right, and then you forgot his last name. So that I'm was... bad with names. I told you. I, I, can, I can pronounce their first names. Their last names, you know, if they're dragging or they're long, they're a little hard. But uh, we got it. We got it. There you go. You finally got that. And <laughs> thank you to all. Our uh, day's uh, worth of work. Everyone man. who came on, like like I've been saying many times, just uh, stay safe. Have a great no week. No singing this week. That's for sure. No singing this week, which, again, we have guests, so there's a reason why. Shout out to CJ uh, DeSimone, who actually is going to be joining our network very, very soon. Uh, yes, CJ, I know you got your, your mixer in the mail. I will definitely help you hook it up in the next couple of days. Very excited to have his show joining our network. A uh, lot of great things happening here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And if you guys aren't downloading our app, go and download our app. It's on iOS right now, WWSRN. Yes, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's WWSRN on the iOS and on the Play Store for Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's great, guys. It gives you so much information. We have our writers on there, our content, our stories, our clips of our shows, the the audio files. Everything is up there. Check us out. Definitely stay in stay in tune. We have a bunch of guests lined up for next week uh, on our shows. So looking forward for next week, Speedy. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying good night, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.